0: You are listening to Leaders Unedited with Keo. Welcome back to another episode of Leaders Unedited. I'm your host, Margaret Mansfield, and with me I have another member of the Keo team, Ian Geddes. Welcome, Ian.
1: Yeah, Thanks, Margaret.
0: <laughs> so you and I have known each other for quite a long time. Um, but tell us a little bit about your experience and background in consulting.
1: Yeah, look, I started doing a lot of work around organisational culture, as you probably remember. I think that's where we first sort of met. Um, and that led me you know, quite naturally into the leadership development space and helping leaders know exactly what to do um, in terms of changing culture. And I've also done an awful lot of work around um, profiling tools for selection and development.
0: Yes, I know it's been a bit of a labour of love for you, building profiling tools, but that's one of the first pieces of work you did with me in terms of profiling for a high potential program, if you remember.
1: Yes, absolutely. We're assessing the, uh, the best of the best um, for that development program.
0: And many of those folks have gone on to um, occupy some pretty big roles in Western Australia and beyond.
1: Yeah, I think it just shows when you you put some effort into developing people, um, where they can go and how successful they can be.
0: And the area of profiling has gained some renewed interest lately because a lot of organisations are looking for executive successes and uh, looking at accelerating talent, particularly given the Great Resignation. Um, but in all your years of profiling leaders, have you seen some common characteristics or qualities that are still as relevant today as they were many years ago?
1: Yeah, look, I think you know, probably one of the first things that I notice about all the great leaders is the passion, sort of like a one-eyed passion for achieving something in a, in a business. Um, and that seems to be quite a quite a key Um, obviously we need people that are motivated to I suppose take charge and control of people and we need people that are are genuine Um, I tend to find the best leaders are quite genuine they relate to people very well Um, and it helps them build a level of trust um, you know with the individuals so they're probably the main ones
0: yeah. So you're really big on trust and that's been, um, very prominent in the news lately around how trust has been broken or repaired or destroyed. Um, what are some of the work you've done in that area with leaders? How do you go about helping them build trust?
1: Yeah, look, it it, it is difficult, um, you know, for, for people, but probably, um, you know the thing that I get people to understand is what behaviour you display that generates or invokes that that trust from others Um, and if they can understand at that behavioural level um, then they're on the road to you know increasing and building you know further trust but it is as I said you know relates to being genuine um, and doing what you say you're going to do very much.
0: Mm, that's one of the biggest mm. contributors to trust, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you've done a lot of work in the area of individual leader profiling, but one of the things you've been working on um, recently is measuring culture, which has you know, a lot of prominence in the media right now. Um, how do you go about measuring culture?
1: Well, um, <clears throat> it's very much at a behavioural level um quite simply um what is it that um people are doing you know because culture is all about you know how we do things around here so it's a question of what behaviors do people exhibit so to accurately sort of measure it at a quite you know quantitative um, level we need to understand the sort of behaviors that are people uh, demonstrating and how frequently they demonstrate those behaviors um <clears throat> you know at a qualitative level or you know actually happening is quite different. Um, We're still looking for behaviour, but it's actually talking to people, understanding and looking at the, you know, what happens in the organisation.
0: Mm, Mm. Okay. And I know that apart from profiling, which you've spent a lot of time uh, working on, you're really passionate about sports. It it, um, is a large part of your life, Um, but you've done some work Really shifting the cultures of a sporting club. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that came about.
1: Yeah look, um, there was an opportunity um, quite a few years ago now to um, to be involved, I suppose, with um, my two sons' um, sporting sort of development. it started off in a in a cricket club, um, and I um, decided that I would coach them and after a couple of weeks I I really did sort of question that decision because I really wasn't sure what I was doing and it wasn't so much about the coaching element of it but it was more about where do I find fixtures you know um, how how do we um, you know sort of manage this team and so forth and um, you know that experience got me involved in the club at the committee level uh, what I, what I recognised is a lot of volunteers um, didn't have the support that they, they really you know, sort of required. They were happy to, to go and do the work, but they needed a little bit of support and encouragement. So, so I um, put my hand up to be on the committee and they asked me, oh, what role do you want? And I said, well, I thought I'd do this thing called coaching coordinator. And they asked me what that was about. And I said, well, it's actually about supporting coaches and managers so that we can actually help the kids. And that was one of the keys behind that.
0: So it wasn't coaching in the coaching around the technical skill though. It was a different form of coaching.
1: It's really coaching the organisation in many, many regards and really probably central to it was the development of the organisation um, in the whole. It wasn't just, um, you know, just coaches and, and managers. It became, you know, how do we actually, you know, run the club? How do we run it efficiently? How do we support families, get them involved? And, um, you know, all central to that was the kids having fun and actually learning.
0: You're listening to Leaders Unedited with Keo. So what were some of the specific things you put in place to make that happen?
1: Yeah, we... we. Um, the first thing um, that I put in place was a number of training initiatives for for the coaches. So um, there was a number of different courses that they could attend. So there was what was called a level one uh, coaching course, which was run by the WACA at the time, or the West Australian Cricket Association. And um, we also had an umpire's course because, of course, the coaches had to umpire. Um, and I've got to say, when I first got involved, I was a bit rusty on the umpiring. But nevertheless, we put a lot of um, effort into actually developing the, the coaches and their knowledge. Um, we then put a program in place to um, to send high-level coaches around to all the teams when they were on their training days. And that was twofold. Um, one, to you know develop um, not only the kids, but also... Help develop the coaches with drills and so forth, um, and we put a specialised one in for for girls in particular because what we recognised is they were probably sort of um, from a developmental point of view a little bit behind where the boys were general out with cricket. So we really wanted to um, to give them, you know, a little bit of extra coaching, and that coaching extended into the season as well. Um, so they're the main ones that we put in place.
0: And what What were the outcomes, what actually happened?
1: Uh, Look, (laughs) the club, um, uh, which is sort of a blessing in disguise in some respects, but it went from 15 teams up to about 35 or 36 teams uh, in the space of about four years, five years. Um, And, you know, probably one of the, the key things for me anyway was that, you know, the kids obviously stayed, they enjoyed it, they were having fun. Um, and we had some you know, really sort of experienced coaches that kept on coaching ev- every year. So they had the support from the club.
0: Sounds a bit like an employer of choice, really. <laughs> if you think about organisations where, you know, people are clamouring to join, uh, you know, an organisation. Sounds yeah, a little bit like that.
1: Yeah, we got a lot of recognition. We won club of the year. We won, um, um, uh, we won female volunteer um, of the year in Australia. Yeah. Um, and that was one of our committee members who was r- really helping drive the the development of girls cricket at that point. Um, and we had the whacker um, approaching us all the time wanting us to run this program or that program and you know one of the programs we were attempting to get up um, was um, cricket for deaf, you know kids. So um, you know, um, I left before we we you know got that program up and running. But um, you know, the fact was, I think the the whacker recognised us as being quite a progressive, you know, uh, club.
0: Okay, and you had some great outcomes in terms of girls playing cricket, didn't you? That representation increased significantly. Yeah.
1: Look, I think we had about five or six teams. Um, you know, um, and uh, I think at that stage, we were probably one of the, the biggest or well, definitely the biggest girls cricket club in, in Perth mm-hmm. um, and one of the biggest in Australia.
0: Fantastic. And, you know, one of the things that we always uh, focus on at KEO is making changes sustainable. So mm. it's not just while you were there that these things happened and due to your effort, but have those changes been sustained? Are they still successful?
1: Yeah. Look, absolutely. You know, one of the things that was key, as far as I was concerned, was was having some structure and um, some processes in place for the for particularly for the committee to to follow. And uh, you know, uh, getting the right people on the committee was was another key for us. So, you know, if you liken it to any business, you want to get the best people and you want to have the best sort of processes in place to support them. And that's really what we did um, when I left as, as president. The incoming president, um, who is still there, um, is absolutely passionate and really driven, does a fantastic job.
0: So I take it you used your business skills to build a sporting club. So how are these skills that you used transferable how do you use them in your business
1: yeah that's it's a good question I, look um coaching um and i use that um very much in terms of development of the committee as well as you know other coaches and managers we'd run things like um induction nights so that new coaches and managers understood you know how we went about the business of sort of coaching and managing a, a cricket team in this club Um, we gave them lots of support as well. So, you know, a lot of, um, you know, that induction night was really actually about coaching the coaches and coaching the managers and just helping them understand, you know, where we want to go, as well as, um, you know, the committee members. So coaching was one of them, you know, I I developed just a small little survey um which sort of harks back to the you know um, wanting to assess things but it was really about um trying to get some feedback and understand where we were going as a club uh, what people wanted us to do differently or better or um and so forth and you know we always found um some really positive outcomes and and just lots of words of thanks
0: I suppose that's something we use in business all the time. We measure at the start of any of the work we do, and then we measure on an ongoing ba- basis to check whether we're moving in the right direction. So,
1: Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think, I think leadership was another key. Um, as, a, as a committee, we provided some very clear um, messages right across the, the club. Um, and we certainly tried to sort of reinforce, you know, things like, you know, support people, um, you know, a family sort of orientation and so forth. So from a cultural point of view, we we're trying to lead the way. Um, and we were also trying to, you know, develop and support people as we went.
0: It sounds like a fair bit of lessons businesses can learn from the sporting club. Mm. Um, and I guess that's often why businesses look to sp- sporting codes for inspiration, because what they do is essentially uh, coach for high performance and then put systems in place to support people.
1: Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think if you you look around the world, um, the most successful sporting clubs um, and then look at their culture, what you'll recognise is the strength of their culture um, and the sustainability of that culture over a long period of time. So it's certainly, you know, if businesses want to learn a lesson, have a look at some of those great sporting clubs that are around. Mm.
0: And speaking of culture, Ian, one of the activities that um, have been on the increase uh, lately is mergers and acquisitions. And we are working with a number of clients who are in the midst of of a merger or an acquisition. But culture is a really core component of, of making that successful, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, and I think it's probably not done particularly well given, what is it, 70% failure rate in terms of the mergers. Um, I think, you know, if you describe that as things not going well and the loss of people and and so forth, when you think about it, you've got um, two businesses um, and those businesses are people. Um, and they have their way of doing things and they need to be brought together in a mutually sort of beneficial, you know, manner. So measuring culture of both of the organisations and working out what do we need to do to make this a successful transition. It's just a key.
0: You're listening to Leaders Unedited with Keo. So is that the process, you, you, you know, we, we're working with an organisation, undertaking a merger, what would be the first step that you would recommend they take then?
1: Absolutely measuring the culture and understanding okay. where they're at. Be that, you know, we do it quantitatively with a survey and maybe even qualitatively to understand some of the nuances. Um, <clears throat> that's part of it. But I think, you know, ultimately you need a plan And, um, you know, an organisational development plan, you know, it's very clear about, you know, uh, the initiatives and the steps that you're going to take Mm -hmm. to ensure that sort of successful merger down the track. So culture certainly forms part of that. But there's other things that we need to look at as well, like the systems and processes of HR.
0: So how is that different to, because, you know, we work with organisations that talk about an integration plan and there are all these activities they would go through to make sure that, you know, at least on a structural level or a procedures level or regulatory level that that merger happens. Mm. What do you mean by an organisational development plan? How is that different?
1: Well, it's very people orientated. And I think that's the fundamental difference. It's not about you know the bits and pieces and the finances mm. it's all about the people and how can we get the people to work together and uh, you know maximize you know the benefit for everyone
0: so Ian we've been talking a lot about culture it's, it's you know, permeated throughout our conversation. But at KIO, we have a particular way of looking and measuring a high-performing, flourishing culture. The three dimensions we talk about. Can you just briefly describe what those are?
1: Yeah. Look, we um, suppose we view culture um, in a business as an ecosystem, um, and in order for ecosystems to survive, um, they need to be adaptive. So that's one sort of higher-level dimension um that organizations need constantly adapting new technology change you know the political landscape let alone COVID. Um, so adaptive is a very important aspect to it i've said that culture is about people um so connective is the second you know element and People need to be connected and it's not just people within the organisation, it's all the other stakeholders that, that are involved as well. Um, and the final piece of the puzzle is um, being supportive. So supportive um, in terms of supportive of each other, but supportive of processes that are in place as well. So we look at those, those three dimensions um, with 12 elements um, sitting underneath them. Those elements are things like diversity and trust, collaboration, empowerment. Um, and we have a 13th um, a, a element, um, which is about purpose. Mm. Um, and we see that as quite a central um, part of the culture. You know, we, you know where's that organisation going? Um, so these, these elements are all about creating high performance, Mm -hmm. but also a really flourishing organization.
0: It sounds like it's a really great snapshot of your business successes to date and the work that you've done.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'd like to think so. It was, um, whilst, um, uh, hard work at times, Mm. I really enjoyed, uh, the years that I spent in the sporting club.
0: Thanks so much, Ian, for talking to me today. I know we talk a lot informally, but it's really good to kind of unpack and pick your experience and we'll be hearing more from you in our future episodes.
1: Yeah, thanks, Margaret.